right. On this program, we uh, we try and be optimistic and, and, and realize that you can't save the whole world. You can only save a, a part of it. But um, uh, it came to our attention at Radio Parallax that one of our fellow KDVS DJs is going off to Africa. So we thought we talked about that. Kara Tierney, are you there? Yes, hi. Welcome. Thank you. You're, you're going off to Burkina Faso in the Peace Corps. That's correct. What uh, What led to that? Well, I was in a Ph.D. program for chemical engineering here at Davis, and I decided maybe that was a little too much for me. Uh-huh. So I thought, well, maybe I should just get my master's. And then I thought about what I wanted to do after I graduate, because that would be pretty soon. And I have a old housemate that's actually in uh, Madagascar right now, and I've been in contact with him throughout his time there. And I just thought maybe that's what I want to do. I really wanted to go out and do something to help people, and that's a direct way to do that. Well, good on you. It's a two-year commitment? Yes. What will you be doing in Burkina Faso? Not chemical engineering, I presume. No, I'll be teaching science. But the thing is, I'll be teaching it in French. <laughs> really? Yes. How's your French? Um, well, I've taken about a year's worth of French. Um, okay. I'm doing some independent study right now. And I'm not exactly confident in it, but I do know that the Peace Corps has one of the best language programs in the world, so that'll help me. By the time you get back, I'm confident you'll be speaking quite fluently. <laughs> I sure hope so. Will you be in the capital, which which is, for trivia buffs, I believe is Ouagadougou? Yes, that's the capital. Um, no, I'll be in a rural area, either a village or a small town, but I don't know anything beyond that. I'm looking at an atlas in front of me right now, and... Burkina Faso, the former Upper Volta, sits on top of Ivory Coast, Ghana, Togo, and Benin in the area between Liberia and Nigeria. Yes, that's correct. And it perennially seems to be on the list of the world's uh, poorest countries. Yes, it is. And interestingly enough, half of the country is 15 years or younger. So that's why they need teachers so badly. How it works is for the first three months, you train um, with other volunteers, mm-hmm. and um, they'll be having me um, practice at a practice school, um, showing me how to teach. And then um, after that, they send me off on my own to my site, where I'll be the only volunteer for at least an hour's travel time. You'll be an hour away from any other cohorts? Yes. Wow. Pretty rustic conditions, I imagine. Yeah, probably no running water, probably no electricity. I am jealous. I wish I'd done this when I was uh, in my 20s. I think this is going to be a wonderful experience for you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And um, one thing that they always say, though, is that um, it's kind of a unique opportunity for um, retirees. I guess a lot of people join Peace Corps after they retire. So it's kind of like I imagine must be people in their 20s and people in their 50s and 60s. Yeah, I think that's the crowd. (laughs) Wow. You've learned a bit about the country before you go, no doubt. Yeah, um, I have a roommate who's actually, she's been to Burkina Faso. She went to Ghana on study abroad for Uh UC Davis. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen pictures of it. She traveled all around the country. So I have a little bit of taste, and I've been looking online at pictures. And um, the Peace Corps is actually really informative. They give you a whole book on your country. So hopefully that will give me a little bit of an idea, but I, I know I can't really expect anything because it's such a different culture. 
Well, back in the 60s when Lyndon Johnson was president, not long after the founding of the Peace Corps, they used to run a series of ads with a glass of water that was um, halfway filled. It said, uh, some people see this glass as half empty, some see it as half full. We're looking for people that see it as half full. And I, I imagine that must, that must describe you. <laughs> you have to be, you have to be some, that sort of person, I think, to go to, with no running water for a couple of years in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I'm like that. I'm thinking I'm going to change a lot while I'm there, and I'm excited about that. Have you, been, have you had a chance to go abroad previously? I did study abroad in Europe over a summer. And I traveled in Southeast Asia for fun for about a month and a half two years ago. For those listeners of KDVS, what was your show? Well, I had a show uh, Thursday nights at midnight for about a year and a half. And um, I was pretty much always called Wade. But um, it seemed each quarter I got a new co-host until okay. this past quarter when I had my own show. Uh, I have a lot of dear friends at KDVS, and I'll definitely be sending them postcards, because I'll miss them all so much. Well, feel free to, uh, to update us uh, at Radio Parallax. You can, we'll designate you as our West African correspondent. Okay, sounds good. All right, well, Kara Tierney, have a great experience over there in Burkina Faso for the next two years, and, and, and stay in touch. Thanks, I re- definitely hope to. <laughs> All right, let's do a little more science uh, for the remainder of, of our second segment today. Geophysics article I thought I would mention that might be worth looking at again in the wake of the tsunami. People are sort of more cognizant now of the damage that waves can do. One of the most amazing things about the tsunami was the satellite photos that actually showed this foot-tall wave they were able to measure as it spread across the Indian Ocean. A lot was learned by how these waves bounced around. Fascinating. A few months ago, German and U.S. researchers took a look at three weeks' worth of global satellite radar data and identified ten separate rogue waves, ten-story-tall ocean waves that sort of appear out of nowhere, to try and figure out when these things appear. Over the years, over 200 super tankers and container ships have gone down, at least that's in the past couple of decades, and they note that um, these rogue waves sort of appear where multiple high-energy wave systems interact Uh, out in the ocean. And it's just like, you know, at some point, constructive and uh, destructive interference, if you can remember your physics, you know. um, In fact, they now sell anti-sound technology that basically will listen to a repetitive sound that's coming in and, and artificially create sound waves that exactly counter it, producing silence. Well, out in the open ocean, waves can just sometimes stack up spontaneously. And if you're having, if you're uh, plowing a ship nearby in that water and uh, a 25 meter tall wave suddenly appears coming out of nowhere, traveling in a direction that doesn't necessarily uh, correlate to you know, the, 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 what normal waves are doing, well, it's a problem. And uh, hopefully research from satellites will uh, make the oceans a bit safer in the future. All right, and speaking of, of the deep sea, the ocean, we would like to, to uh, recommend strongly that when the IMAX um, Aliens of the Deep becomes available, that you go and, and check it out. I had a chance to attend a um, preview showing with our, our special media correspondent, Gary Chu. We'll thank Gary for that. 
and I was pretty much blown away. It's a, it's it's really it's a fabulous documentary. Uh, James Cameron of Titanic fame apparently has spent a lot of dough uh, fashioning himself as a Jacques Cousteau type of adventurer going into the deep sea, and and they spent a lot of money on the cameras and show you what it's like at um, at these deep sea vents. It really it really is fascinating. It's especially fascinating to to realize a point that I think a lot of people don't know, but the movie stresses is that this is an ecosystem that is completely independent of solar energy. I mean, on the surface of the Earth, the sun is the basic uh, driver of all life on Earth through photosynthesis, etc. But there's an entirely different ball game going on uh, deep in in the vents of of the ocean, where uh, hydrogen sulfide and other minerals are are spewed out from geologic processes, which is captured. The chemical energy is captured by microorganisms, which then is the basis for an entirely different food chain. In attendance for this special showing were several UCD professors, and I I had a delightful talk uh, with with all three. These were Dr. Robert Zierenberg, professor of geology, Dr. Douglas Nelson, professor of microbiology, and uh, Dr. Jim McLean of the geology department. It's a fascinating area where geology meets biology, and uh, we hope to talk to, uh, to one or perhaps all of these uh, professors about, uh, about some of these issues on, on future programs. We are in a very much related issue, and this, this is uh, pointed out uh, at length in this, uh, in this film. What we find in the deep sea vents, the, the life uh, down there, the ecosystems down there, um, has application to other worlds. We were hoping to talk about uh, the Huygens probe landing on Titan, Saturn's moon, and uh, the the remote but interesting, intriguing, small possibility that there could be life on Titan um, is something that can be uh, examined with the data that we gain by looking at what 30 years ago was a completely unknown ecosystem right here on Earth. If you can snag a copy of New Scientist magazine, uh, they a bunch of it's it's fascinating. The European Space Agency and NASA have so far not released uh, any mosaics that they constructed um, of the Titan surface, but some amateurs took a hold of the data of the photographs taken as the probe was descending and using uh, off-the-shelf programs constructed a brilliant mosaic that shows pretty clearly that uh, this probe landed somewhere near lakes of methane and ethane. Now, on Earth, with Earth's temperatures, methane and ethane are gases, but on Titan, they're liquid, and it seems quite clear that there there's clouds of hydrocarbons that are raining out onto the surface of the moon, which are carving channels like water does on Earth and collecting in lakes of hydrocarbons. I wish the European Space Agency was as media savvy as, as NASA and was really uh, fully running with this issue because, you know, they should be getting this data out there. This is really fascinating stuff. We, we will hopefully uh, take up the slack and, and, and do, it, uh, do it here on this program. One little sidelight, which I, I found uh, highly amusing. There are these large clams that live near the vents that, um, that sort of live symbiotically with organisms that are able to take the hydrogen sulfide and, uh, you know, again, capture the chemical energy and build large molecules. Well, someone brought up some of these clams and uh, cooked them <laughs> to see what they tasted like. And the description was something between a rotten egg and liver. I guess the, the punchline factoid here is that if you have food 
that's based on hydrogen sulfide. Hydrogen sulfide, of course, is what you smell near volcanic vents, that rotten egg smell. Well, apparently that rotten egg smell is going to pervade the food. So don't look for a deep sea vent clam chowder coming to, uh, coming to tables near you anytime soon. Okay, I got to stand corrected. I was just handed the book, The 100 Words Almost Everyone Confuses and Misuses, uh, in conjunction with the senior editor from uh, American Heritage Dictionary's Stephen Kleinelder, a good segment we did a couple months ago. Apparently it is incorrect to refer to a small interesting fact as a factoid. More correctly, a factoid is a, a piece of unverified or inaccurate information that is presented in the press as factual, often as a part of a publicity effort. Okay, so I stand corrected. I guess we'll instead call that a factet. Or uh, alternatively, an interesting little bit of trivia. Thank you, Mr. McMillan. We, we do try to get it right on this program. I do love the description of the Week magazine about the Huygens probe. They said Saturn's largest moon, Titan, is a bizarre world that seems to have been created during an LSD trip with a tangerine-colored sky, a surface the consistency of a sponge, and possibly lakes and seas of methane. Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. I want to pause a moment to mention that, yes, we have talked about IMAX twice now in this program, but uh, this is not plug all. We are not getting any kickback from the IMAX people. KDVS is non-commercial broadcasting, but when something is in uh, uh, the mainstream, like The Tonight Show, I think it's a fair game to talk about. We got a call as I was completing last week's show that someone was saying that I shouldn't have mentioned the name of the large book-selling chain out there. And I said, well, then I perhaps should mention some of our local booksellers. But I thought, you know, um, you know, I think this is fair game. We mentioned, I went back and, and looked at it. We mentioned on last week's show, the Washington Post, uh, Chevron Texaco, the Wall Street Journal, Walmart, Costco, the Week magazine, Esquire magazine, the Economist magazine, Mother Jones magazine, the Atlantic Monthly magazine. We talked about the Red Lobster food chain, not in a good way. The New York Times, Tom Burka's website. We talked about the European Space Agency, NASA, and, uh, and uh, JPL. We talked about Leno, Letterman, and The Tonight Show. This is part of American culture. This sort of thing is going to come up, and I, I just want to make it clear that uh, we don't get anything back when we mention, you know, the New York Times on this program. All right, let's do three final items in the topic of uh, science. Apparently, the Norwegian government is allowing recreational hunters to shoot wolves, even though the animals are classified as an endangered species. The country's directorate for nature management will allow five gray wolves to be killed during the current hunting season. But even this small number is causing concern because the Norway's entire wolf population is thought to number about 25. In all of Scandinavia, there are about 100 wolves. They'd been previously extinct in Scandinavia because hunters shoot them. But apparently a, uh, a couple of wolves uh, strayed in from Russia and uh, the population's back up again. And the sheep farmers who lose around 30,000 animals a year are angry. They estimate that the wolves may take 2,000 of their sheep and so they want to shoot them. Our environmental minister is probably the first ever to open a regular hunt on an endangered animal population in his own country, says Rasmus Hansen, Secretary General of the World Wildlife Foundation. 
World Wildlife Foundation took a look uh, at the, how, how forests are being managed in Europe and decided that it may not be such a good idea to clear dead wood. By uh, sterilizing Europe's forest, in essence, by clearing out uh, what is basically um, felled trees that provide habitat, rotten wood, a uh, resource that's used as a habitat and shelter for thousands of species, from fungi to beetles to birds to small animals, and also breaks up some of the nutrients that are returned to the forest that they've decided it's a lot better to leave dead wood in place. Now, you hear a lot of times in California about how we need to go in and tidy up uh, all these forests and get rid of all these supposed fire hazards, which they're now doing uh, apparently in Redwood areas in California. We're going to follow up on that story, but they're now uh, they're now able to thin trees up to three feet in diameter. I think it is, which is basically a way of just uh, you know increasing the wood harvest. I was wondering when someone was going to finally do a study that showed that leaving the trees to recycle made sense, because you know, think about it, it just has to. Final item: scientists have isolated uh, some natural compounds that apparently. Disturb mosquitoes. Everyone is familiar with the fact that when you go out into the woods, some people get eaten alive and some people are not bothered by mosquitoes. They set out to determine what those compounds may be using the yellow fever uh, mosquito, which favors humans. They talk about CO2 and other compounds that all animals have that may attract mosquitoes, but if they're zeroing in on a human, there must be something about humans that they like or don't like. Well, they're looking for the don't like, and they've discovered 11 compounds that the yellow fever mosquitoes consistently avoid. Of course, the, uh, the gold standard uh, for mosquito repellent is still DEET. And citronella, other, other plant compounds, can help, but they noted in the study that uh, they're not very effective. Mosquitoes can often see through these chemical disguises, and so they're a long way away from a marketable product, but we, uh, we certainly hope that um, they'll succeed in that. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM. Stay tuned.